Welcome to The Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church, where we encourage you to view the culture through the lens of the Holy Bible. Glad to have you with us on The Bible and Our Culture. I'm Pastor J. McPherson with Liberty Remnant Church. On The Bible and Our Culture, we take some time to really look at the culture through the lens of the Bible. I feel there's a lot of folks that are being conformed to the pressure of looking at the Bible through the lens of the culture. That's going to lead to so much error. That's going to lead to so much pain. That's going to lead to so much dysfunction. God's smart. He knows the end from the beginning. He loves us. We really ought to trust him. And the one way we know we're really hearing from him is when we take a look into the scriptures. There's so much in the Bible that applies to our lives and tells us how we should live. Well, last week, we really got into your business. We're talking about Gideon. And there's this interesting story about Gideon where he had to tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole on his father's property. You don't hear of it. It's an often ignored story of Gideon. Because his call right before that is so inspirational. It's so exciting. He's hiding in fear. But the Lord comes to him in the form of an angel of the Lord and tells him he's a mighty man of valor, that he will be with him, that he has sent him. Go and strike the enemy and kill the Amalekites and kill the Midianites and lead God's people to victory. And we love that story because often we feel like we're oppressed and fearful. But God can do anything through a willing, humble obedient servant like Gideon. But then there's another story in Gideon that you're probably familiar with if you know your Bible. Gideon led an army of just 300 men, shrunk down his fighting force to less than 1% of the fighting force that he had, which still wasn't very much. And 300 men were used of God to bring a major victory over the Midianites, also the Amalekites and the armies of the East. What a crazy, amazing story. Well, that story and the story of Gideon's call has sandwiched within it, as we talked about last week, a story where Gideon had to tear down the false gods of his day right there in his own father's home. It's forgotten because it really meddles in our business. We got to take care of business at home. So last week we talked about what the Baal false god was. Really was a god of sex, a god of material prosperity, and a god of status but really a god of sex. And so what was the Baal altar used for? Well, we don't know, but we know there were prostitutes involved. So it it had to have been pretty explicit. It's kind of the R-rated version of the Bible and our culture. I didn't get too descriptive, but it's pretty obscene when we think about what an Asherah pole was. Some translations don't even use the word Asherah, and most don't use the word Asherah pole. But it was pretty obscene. And there is these sex gods that have infiltrated God's people and are now bringing havoc and leading them to be oppressed by their enemies. Well, Ezekiel, the prophet, many years later, kind of tells us what some of these shrine prostitutes were like and how they lived. You can see it throughout scripture, but I'm choosing a passage in Ezekiel 16 where he likens Jerusalem, the city, to a prostitute. And why am I doing all this? Well, I think our society is way too oversexed. Sex has become a god, just as it was in Gideon's day. Oh, it didn't say, hey, we're a sex god. It was secularism and it was hedonism or whatever. In Gideon's day, it was Baal and Asherah. 
And the sexualized aspect of idol worship probably didn't need to be spoken this clearly for many generations in America. But today, we live in a sex-saturated culture, and it's time to get past our religious facades where we act all dignified and pious and realize, hey, we got a problem in America. We got a problem in our cities, probably have problems in our home. So instead of covering up these realities, we got to look into them. Sexual idolatry is the issue of the day. And in Ezekiel's day, he explained it. There's a lot of passages in the Bible where we see it. But there's a whole chapter that really explains it here in Ezekiel 16, um, starting verse 15. Ezekiel prophesies to Jerusalem, But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. Hold on, that seems pretty obscene. Could the Bible really be talking about prostitution and sexuality this way? Yeah, as an insult to the people of Jerusalem and their infidelity with the Lord. Verse 16, he says, You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. Such things should not happen, nor should they ever occur. Verse 20, And you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to idols. Wow. Some people think, well, they were crazy back in the Bible days. You know, I think it's very similar to how it is today. There is a connection between sexual promiscuity and child sacrifice. Has to be. There has to be. You can't have uh, all the sex you want and just easy sex and then not have child sacrifice. So we have promiscuity today. It's thought to be an embarrassment if you don't have sex before your marriage, before you're married. While back in the day, it was an embarrassment if you had sex outside of marriage. Now it's the other way around. So with all this easy, cheap sex and sex on the first date and sex before marriage, we got a problem. We've got pregnancy going on. What do you do when you have unwanted children? Well, in Bible days, they offered them to the god Moloch. They had child sacrifice. Or they burnt a child in the altar. Today, we have the same thing. We just burn babies with chemicals in the womb through abortion. And ironically, they make it about a woman's right to choose. I really think it's more about the boyfriend's right to continue to manipulate, dominate, and oppress. Because I think for most women, if their boyfriend said, hey, we have a baby, I'm going to be faithful to you, we've got to be faithful to this child, let's commit ourselves and make it work, I think most women would go along with that. But the immature, childlike male, who's not a man, who's really a boy, just wanting to indulge in sex, he's not ready for the responsibility to be a dad. If selfish, undisciplined, self-gratifying people engage in promiscuity, they're not often willing to take responsibility for raising a baby. These babies frequently cry and relieve themselves at random, often important, inconvenient times. The worst possible moments. If you've been a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Kids don't just babysit themselves. You've got uh, to take care of, of your child. And they're well worth it. But here's maybe some young people who are just wanting to do what's best for them. They're wanting to indulge in whatever pleasure they can find. They don't want accountability. They don't want to have to grow up. They don't want to have to serve anyone but themselves. They don't make usually good parents with that attitude. So what else do you do? You offer 
the child to Moloch. What they did in the Bible days that we're doing today, there's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes says. Verse 23 of Ezekiel 16, he says, Woe, woe to you, declares the sovereign Lord. In addition to all your other wickedness, you built a mound for yourself and made a lofty shrine in every public square. At the head of every street, you built your lofty shrines and degraded your beauty, offering your body with increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. Yikes. He goes on to say in verse 30, How weak-willed you are, declares the Sovereign Lord. When you do all these things, acting like a brazen prostitute, when you built your mounds at the head of every street and made your lofty shrines in every public square, you were unlike a prostitute because you scorned payment. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that passage of Scripture. But we can observe Jerusalem degraded her beauty in shrines and on mounds in the public square and at the head of every street. What? What are you talking about? Did you see that there? Mentioned a few times. There were these high places or mounds where these false gods would have prostitutes that would do their religious services on these mounds that are at the head of every street and in the public square. Are you kidding me? What would they be doing? Well, they'd be evangelizing for their religion. It was difficult to get around town without your eyes catching something sexually provocative. Seriously, around these little high places, these mounds at the head of every street in the public square. My goodness, that's strange. Now, I remember thinking a high place was this really huge high place like the, the Mayan pyramids or the Aztec pyramids. Been to Mexico a few times and saw these huge pyramids where you could hardly make out who was on the top of it if you were at the base. And I thought, oh, those are high places like in the Bible because they offered uh, human sacrifice there. Really evil place, uh, really evil history. But as I read that passage from Ezekiel, there appears to be a, at least another kind of high place, or at least a different high place, a biblical high place, which was at a mound at the head of every street and in the public square. In other words, here's a stage, here's this platform or mound where the temple prostitutes did whatever they did and worshiped to the false gods, and everybody could see it. I think of a huge roundabout in Washington, D.C., where you got all these uh, lanes coming together in one intersection, so they have this big roundabout. Well, in the middle of the roundabout is a good place for a statue. So they build a platform, put a statue on there, so everybody can say, hey, this big event or this person we want to honor. Well, it seems like they did that in Bible days, so the false gods would have their temples and their prostitutes, and they would do whatever it is they did to evangelize for their false god right there. Even youth and children were exposed to sexually explicit material way before their time. It's not healthy for that to happen. If young people get exposed to sex too young, they get this distorted view of sexuality, they get a distorted view of their identity, I think it leads to all sorts of of deviancy and a lot of the LGBTQ and the transgender issues is because young people had sexuality forced on them while they're too young and they're confused and there's a scarring there and there's a wounding there. And so they don't know what masculinity is. They don't know what femininity is. They don't know God's plan for, for men and God's plan for women. And so they just think, this is terrible. I'm messed up. I'm defective. There's got to be something better and I'm willing to risk I'll change who I am. I'll have surgeries. I'll, I, gotta, I know I, I don't identify as what I'm supposed to be. There's something defective about me. So if, if I have to, I'll, I'll roll the dice and gamble because I can't stand living the way I'm living. I'm in too much pain. It's got to be better on the other side. 
So I'll change my gender or add a gender or create a new gender or whatever. All this comes because of an oversexed society. It's not right. But guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. We can see that they had these kind of problems, maybe not the transgender problem, but certainly problems with promiscuity before our eyes, images in our heads. Every time we, we leave the house, they might see uh, some skin. They might see some sexually provocative uh, images because of what was happening on these mounds and high places in the public square and at the head of every street. So like today, they didn't keep sexual activity within the sacred confines of the marriage covenant. Oh, that's so important. Who made sex? Well, God did. In his perfect wisdom and his great love and in his power, he said, hey, I got this great gift of marriage. Marriage will be a representation of my son and the church, and I'm going to allow them to enjoy each other, and I'm going to give them the gift of marriage, sexuality. But as we rebel against God and we want sexual gratification outside of the marriage covenant, we cross a line and we head into all sorts of destruction. We're going to talk more about that in a moment, but let's take a quick break. Two years ago, Liberty Remnant Church was founded in Spokane by a group of committed Christ followers who, believing God, sought to build a distinct local church for His glory. LRC is a simple, relational, biblical church that holds firm to the basic tenets of biblical Christianity. We believe we are to represent Christ's love, power, and wisdom in every and any facet of society. Perhaps you've seen our pastor, Jay McPherson, or others from Liberty Remnant Church, either standing up at Spokane City Hall or at a local school board meeting in the area. We believe we are called to be salt and light as we bring people to new life in Christ. If you are looking for a local church or know someone who is, please consider what God is doing at Liberty Remnant Church. We meet every Sunday at the Oakwood Inn, 7919 North Division at 10 a.m., for more information or to contact our pastor, please check out our website at libertyremnantchurch.org. Once again, that's libertyremnantchurch.org. And welcome back to the Bible and our culture. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson of Liberty Remnant Church. We are looking at the culture through the lens of the Bible. We've been discussing Gideon and how he had to overcome the false gods of his day. Baal and Asherah at his own home. What are Baal and Asherah? Well, the temptation or the allure of these false gods, I believe, was in part sexual promiscuity. So we looked at Ezekiel 16 and the uh, description of what a prostitute was in the Bible days and how they were connected with idol worship. And there's nothing new under the sun. We see the temptations and allures of of sexuality back then happening today, just with different names. We don't call it Baal and Asherah. We call it hedonism or secularism or what have you, liberalism. I don't care. But the point is we've got a problem. And the problem is we've taken what God has given us that was really good, sex and marriage, and we perverted it. We've taken it outside the covenant of marriage. And when that happens... There's dreadful consequences. We're seeing it all over the place. The, the safety in our city, Spokane, and all around the world, a lot of it has to do with the perversion of sex. 
that our daughters aren't safe. They don't feel safe because they're, they're not safe because there'd be some perverted guy trying to put the hustle on them. And, and we're concerned of that. Well, where, where did all this perversion come from? Well, they've been exposed to sexuality at way too young of age. They've had too much of a diet of sexuality outside of marriage. And it's caused all sorts of problems. People don't know how to grow up anymore. Some of that is all the sex images that have been put before us and all the dirty jokes and all the innuendos on movies and television. There's no way we can continue as a society if we don't bring a harness to what God intended with sexuality and make it be part of marriage. It ought to be part of marriage to be enjoyed and obviously to procreate. You know, there's two things that we can be confident about in every society in history. Every society that lasted had fire and sex. And I'm going to compare them and how they are a good lesson to learn. But we know that every society had fire, whether we're talking about the Babylonians or the Egyptians or the Midianites or the Vikings, whoever, they had fire. They needed it to warm themselves and to cook food. They had fire. We also know that every society had sex because if they didn't, they can't reproduce, right? You can't have homosexuality and reproduce. Uh, there's a lot of things you can't have uh, that you would indulge in, but you have to have sex to reproduce. So with these two common denominators of, of lasting societies, there's some lessons we can learn how they are similar because both fire and sex must be kept within its proper confines. If it's not kept in its proper confines, it will become terribly destructive. So fire's great in a fireplace and on the stove to warm you to cook your food. But if that fire gets out of the stove, out of the fireplace, and starts spreading throughout your home and throughout town, you got a real problem. There's a lot of destruction, and it could happen quickly. Well, I think it's the exact same thing with sex. If sex gets outside of the confines of marriage and spreads throughout town, spreads throughout the, the society, it's going to bring a lot of destruction. It needs to stay where it's supposed to be because outside of the confines of the marriage covenant that God intended, sex is bringing destruction on our land and we see it over and over again. We are not a dysfunctional society. We cannot continue living the way we've been living and expect uh, prosperity. We are headed for the really the consequences of our own decisions, we've got to understand where God intended us to focus on with sex and, where, and how we ought to live. I've often likened sex to frosting and marriage, the cake. Does that make sense? Frosting really only belongs on a cake. It's a good part of the cake. It really makes the cake excellent. But you can't just eat frosting right out of the bowl. A cake... It's where the frosting belongs, and it requires specific ingredients. The marriage requires specific ingredients. If you don't have flour, how's your cake going to turn out? If you don't have milk or eggs, what kind of cake are you going to have? In the same way, if you don't have the right elements in a, in a marriage, good communication, a care for one another, honesty, that sort of thing, you're not going to have a good marriage. But a cake also must be baked over time. There's this pressure of the heat that uh, oven brings and over time it's going to make that cake what it's supposed to be and guess what i think there's 
the test of a wedding that makes a marriage work. That if you're if you're faithful uh, and you're abstinent until marriage, and you, you work on the engagement, you work on the relationship, and you plan a wedding, and all that stress is going to help bake a cake. You're going to learn how to deal with your partner when they're having a bad day and they're under a lot of stress and they're going to see you that same way. This is good in that it helps refine the relationship so it can handle the test of marriage and children and all that requires in the household today. So frosting has an allure, but eating it right out of the bowl will make you sick. And that's what we have today. We have people trying to wolf down frosting any chance they get, crazed for it, and they're eating it right out of the bowl. They've got a deviant appetite for it, and it's going to make them sick. After so much sex in our culture, a sex-saturated culture, we've got issues of, of people insecure in their sexuality. They, they, they don't know what, what a masculine way of living is. They don't know what a feminine way of living is. They're, they're confused. They're hurting. They're wounded. And a lot of that is because... They've been exposed to sex at way too young of age. It's become way too big of a priority. And seeking more and more gratification from frosting will make you sick and unhealthy. All right, let's eat it out of the bowl. Let's try it in, in all these funky, deviant ways. Let's try it with multiple partners. Let's just go frosting, frosting, frosting. Frosting will make us happy, and I can't wait till I have more frosting. Well, that's not a healthy way to live. But frosting on cake, God's idea. Who made sex? God did. It's proof of intelligent design, in my opinion. I won't go on and, and, and uh, expound on that much more, but I believe in a wise, intelligent God who created the universe, and part of my proof is the marriage act. How do you build a good marriage? How, what are the ingredients for a cake that's going to be lasting and a reflection of Christ and his church? Well, I think you got to take time to really know each other in a variety of different situations. The dating system is broken. The dating system is not going to work. It hasn't worked. It's led to divorce. It's led to unhappy people, unhappy homes, unhappy children. The dating system is just a phony. It's a facade. Hey, let, let me try and impress you. Let me put my best foot forward. I'll put on the, the right perfume and, and make sure I, I portray somebody that I'm maybe not to get you to like me. And that's our scenario for finding a partner. No wonder it doesn't work. If you're single and you have in your heart to be married, serve in the local church. Serve Jesus. And as you're doing that, there's going to be pressure and stress. And also there'll be other people, other part of the church family that'll be along the way and they might connect you or you might meet your partner serving the Lord. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it worked for me. That's the way it worked for a lot of people that I have really great marriages, is they just were pursuing God and serving. And lo and behold, as they're serving, they're working with somebody else. And hey, they hit it off. And God seems to, to lead them into a, a marriage that is a reflection of him. Not perfect marriages. We don't have that in this fallen, crazy, stupid, messed up world. But we do have successful marriages built on the rock of Jesus Christ. So as you're married, you have to continue to get to know somebody. You know, my wife has uh, changed over the years. She's encountered new things. I never knew my wife as a mom until we had children. I never knew my wife as a nurse until she became a nurse. I mean, there's, you have to stay in the know. You got to keep the lines of communication open, take time to talk and go on dates and listen to each other because as we go through this life, we have to continue to re-know our partner. And as we know them, hopefully we begin to trust 
the other person. Trust is such an important part of a marriage. My wife would not trust me to run a two-minute mile. In fact, she wouldn't trust me to run a three-minute mile or even run a mile at all, or even probably walk a mile. I have got health issues. I'm supposed to have a knee replaced and a fusion redone in my lower back. So I'm not very mobile. So she can't trust me to, to run a mile. But hopefully the person who she sees and knows is a trustworthy person. And the person that, that she depends on me to be, uh, hopefully doing a good job. And that the view that she has of me is also the view I have of her that, hey, we like this person. We can trust them. And as we trust, we rely. This helps bring a bond to the marriage that I'm depending on you for certain things and you depend on me for certain things and we're, we're giving and supporting and encouraging and relying on each other. That really makes the bond. I saw somewhere, statistically, the Amish have the best sex lives. That's because in their marriage, they are so dependent on each other and they, they work so hard and their only real entertainment is each other. And so they really know each other. They trust each other. They rely on each other for so much that the, their wonderful sex life just sort of comes upon them spontaneously. As you learn to rely on each other, there comes a time for commitment. And that begins kind of in the courtship process to some degree. But the lifelong commitment of marriage is made before God. It is a holy matrimony. And it's a sacred commitment. There's no other way for a marriage to work. The secularist would say, well, you got to try it out first. Take, take the car for a test drive sexually. Take the car for a test drive. Live together for a bit. It doesn't work that way. you got to go in full on to this marriage thing or it's just not going to work. If I'm trying it out, I'm not fully invested. And then once we get married, now we're both fully invested. That's usually when people try and change each other because they're a little more freaked out. you got to go in till death do us part in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse. A big-time commitment is the only way that marriage is going to work. And if you do all those things, well, then sexual intimacy is just going to flow out of that. It's just going to be a very uh, natural, spontaneous part of a healthy marriage. But we're screwing up our children. We're screwing up society because we've had a sex-saturated society that is just however you want it, whatever works for you, however you fill the day, however you identify, just have at it. It's not going to work. It's going to bring destruction. Verse 32 of Judges 6, it says, Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel. It's Jotham, Gideon's dad, called Gideon Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. What a great title for Gideon, contender with Baal. You notice he didn't start with the Midianites, the Amalekites. That was ultimately what he was called to do, strike down the Midianites and the Amalekites and free God's people. But God didn't start there. He started in his own family. He started with the false gods of today, the, the Baal and the Asherah. If he was faithful to tear down the false god at home first, then he could be trusted to tear down the Midianites and the Amalekites and their oppressive hand upon them. We all got to be diligent to tear down the altars of Baal in our own life. If we can do that, then we can tear down the altars of Baal in society. It's important that we do so. I'm Pastor J. McPherson. If you want more information about Liberty Remnant Church, you can log on to libertyremnantchurch.org. Thank you for listening to The Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church. If you want to support this ministry financially, you could do so by going to our website, libertyremnantchurch.org backslash give, and select radio ministry. See you next week at the same time.